Welcome to another episode in the podcast series on the COVID-19 Response Toolkit for Education. In partnership with McKinsey & Co, UNESCO is developing the COVID-19 Response Toolkit for Education as part of the work of the Global Education Coalition launched by UNESCO to respond to the impact on education uh, of the crisis and facilitate inclusive learning opportunities for all during this period of sudden and unprecedented educational disruption. I'm Boran Shakroon, Director of Division for Policies and Lifelong Learning Systems at UNESCO. Today, our focus will be on Chapter 7 of the Toolkit, Hybrid Learning. This chapter was developed by UNESCO in collaboration with McKinsey and Company, and I'm pleased to have here today a guest who has led the development of this chapter, Emma Dorn, Education Practice Manager in McKinsey's Silicon Valley office. Welcome, Emma, and thank you for coming on to speak with us about this important topic, hybrid learning. Thank you, Bohan. It's a pleasure to be here. Perhaps I could actually start with a question. Can you help our listeners understand what exactly is this hybrid learning thing anyway, and why does it matter so much for school systems right now? I think it's important to clarify a bit the concept and the definition. As we see from uh, different countries, schools are gradually transitioning from full-time remote learning back into the classroom. But continued physical distancing requirement and other health safeguards make it challenging to return to full-time in-person instruction. We see this in many countries all over the world. This means that many systems are considering hybrid models that combine both in-person and remote instruction. Furthermore, the threat of resurgence requires systems to be ready and resilient to these changes and to switch between in-person and remote learning to ensure learning continuity. Absolutely. Uh, you can see that just here in my own state of California, where the rising case counts in the past week have caused many districts to reconsider their plans for the fall and start instruction virtually. So uh, as you've been working, Bohan, with systems around the world, uh, what are you hearing are the major challenges to implementing this hybrid learning model that we've been talking about? All countries are trying to develop resilient hybrid learning models that combine many of the challenges of remote learning, student adoption, engagement, and equity with new challenges. And let me mention three of them. First, uh, allocating scarce teachers, infrastructure capacities equitably among students, managing increasing operational complexity, and switching from remote to in-person instruction models. These are three among many challenges. And all these of uh, challenges uh, are covered by the toolkit, and they are addressed in different uh, ways in the toolkit. Emma, can you share from your perspective with us some of the, the models available to system which involve in-person and remote instruction? Sure. So the way that we've thought about this in our toolkits is that there are actually several different decisions that school systems have to take. And, and I can walk you through those a little bit. So the first is, in the face of limited capacity, who do we prioritize for in-person instruction? And to answer that, systems must first have a good understanding of what their capacity really is in terms of space, in terms of teachers, in terms of transportation, given all of the physical distancing and cohorting and health safeguards just required to keep students and teachers safe. And what's interesting here is that the limiting factor might be very different for different districts or schools, even within the same country. So, for example, in the U.S., we've heard from some urban school districts that they can only fit 30 percent of their students at one time into their buildings with six foot distancing. Whereas some of the rural districts can just safely bring back 100% of their students full time. And then, of course, there's no education without teachers. 
And even if the schools have space to split the classes, they may not have the teachers or the aides to supervise those children safely. And especially in places where many teachers are over 60 and, and are at greater risk from the virus and so may need to stay remote. And then in other districts, the limiting factor has actually been getting students to school safely on school buses. There's enough space in the classroom, there's enough teachers, but they can't get the students to school. Well, indeed, this is a problem uh, in many member states, and uh, we see that also in many European countries. Uh, the question of safe public transportation to school has been a big concern. One system has worked out what portions of students can get back to school safely. Then uh, the question, Emma, is how can they then decide how to allocate that time? Absolutely. So this brings us to the second decision, which is uh, how do you allocate the time? And, and we've seen systems take a very different approach by age. Emerging evidence suggests that not only are young children less likely to suffer severe complications from COVID-19, but they also may be less likely to transmit it to others. Of course, in addition, as you know, schools play a critical childcare role. And the research is beginning to suggest that young children especially struggle with remote learning. And so because of all of those different factors, we've seen countries like Norway, Denmark, the Netherlands, prioritize in person for the younger grades and continue with hybrid or remote models for older children or having models where you phase in initially getting the younger grades back and then bringing in older children later when the epidemiological situation is a little safer. But there are also other really important groups that it's important to consider. So for example, students in key transition years, we've seen that in Germany and Japan, children of essential workers or students with special needs. Well, right. I mean, I think it's important to consider this uh, more uh, holistic role of schools. And uh, as we understand more how the school shutdowns and how this is widening the equity gaps, it is particularly important to think through how hybrid models can prioritize students with the greatest learning needs. Exactly. And, and especially in systems with lower tech penetration, who are having a harder time ensuring quality remote learning, or, or in systems where there's a significant digital divide. Well, we have seen, uh, in reality, different systems taking different approach, but particularly uh, we can identify two uh, main approaches to this. Either bringing prioritized groups full-time, for example, in UK, where the children of essential workers and students enrolled in alternative provision programs, which educate several categories of at-risk students, stayed in person through the whole shutdown. The second option is uh, by allocating a higher portion of in-person time for prioritized groups. And as we look across the systems, we see that many are taking a phased approach. And uh, we have looked at different studies and, and research. And let me just mention the survey from the Global Education Innovation Initiative at Harvard University. We see that more than half of respondents report the schools will not be opening at the same time. Instead, doing so by level of education, geographical location, or based on grades. And uh, we have seen different strategies will be used for school reopening. For example, 29% uh, will consider and are considering return to normal scheduling and student attendance, as was practiced before the pandemic. But more than 63% are considering classroom-based teaching and learning with school attendance scheduled in shifts to reduce student numbers in schools and facilitate social distancing. Around 51% report about progressive return of students, example by age cohorts. Then we have data about 44% of respondents considering hybrid model of distance and classroom-based teaching and learning to reduce student numbers in schools and facilitate social distancing. 
Yeah, I, those results are really interesting. And, and, and I do think it's important to, to stress this point that there is no one size fits all and that you don't want to look at the school system as one undifferentiated mass, but to really think of it as a, a number of independent systems within a system. So just moving on, now that we know how much capacity the school has and we know which groups will slot into that capacity over time, the next decision is, is really around what subjects to prioritize. And then within each subject, what elements of the teaching and learning process to prioritize. Indeed, and what is important here is that different systems may come to different answers here, but it's important to have an intentional decision based on the country context. For example, the class environment, the quality of the teachers, the, the strengths and difficulties of the students. What I like about the toolkit is that uh, it provides a series of questions that countries can ask themselves to make those decisions and consider them based on their own context. There are at least six questions that could be considered. One is, uh, how critical is the subject? The second is, to what degree does this subject need in-person equipment? The third is, to what degree does this subject need dynamic teacher interaction? The fourth is, to what degree does this subject need interactive peer collaboration? Then, to what extent is the future learning dependent upon current building blocks? And maybe the last question and the sex is, to what degree is it not suitable for adaptive software for remote learning? So yes, in general, the toolkits try to be sensitive to context. There are some things I think we can agree won't be happening in person inside for a long time. Brass band or, or singing practice, for example. Context, however, is particularly important in this next decision. And in fact, this is a decision that might best be taken by principals and teachers. But systems still need to provide guidelines and, and the tools to build capabilities. Emma, here you are talking about the actual models of hybrid learning and, and what parts of the teaching and learning process should be prioritized for in-person, isn't it? Yes. What I'm trying very hard not to call a value chain. You, you can see, Bohen, I've been a consultant too long. But yes, exactly. What learning activities should be done in person versus remotely? So from direct instruction through to supporting students to explore material through experiments, group discussion, small group collaboration, individual exercises, and then through to formative assessment to understand what students know and how to plan the next lesson, and then up through the chain back to direct instruction again. And I think that in the scramble to get hybrid learning up and running in the spring, many systems went for what seemed like the closest to a normal classroom, having half the students in person and half the students remote or in a classroom next door, video conferencing into the same lesson. Now, Bohen, I don't know if you've ever tried to video conference into a meeting with 15 in-person participants. Oh, yes, indeed. That can be really a frustrating experience. You can't hear what people are saying. Everyone is tiny on the screen. You can get the attention to speak. Not ideal. And the same is true for students. It's frustrating for remote students. And worse, it loses those precious moments where a teacher suddenly has a small class of 12 to 15 students and can pay them more attention in person. So we understand absolutely why many systems adapted this. They had to get something up and running quickly. But now that we can reflect uh, in time for the fall, we wanted to lay out some alternative hybrid models to consider. So the first model would be a homework model where instruction is at school and practice is at home. And, and in this model, teachers transmit new concepts to a group of students in person who then complete exercises and assignments remotely. And, and, and this might work, for example, in a low-tech environment where the students don't have the technology at home to, to complete adaptive software assignments. The second model would be a flipped classroom 
And here, the instruction would be at home and the practice at school. Here, students learn about new concepts remotely, perhaps through video lessons, and then can complete their exercises and assignments uh, in person and review them in person with a teacher whose role then moves more to be a facilitator or a coach. And then the final model is an asynchronous hybrid. And, and this is really a mix of the two before, where there's a mix of learning activities at school and at home. And so teachers would provide instruction, practice, and feedback at school. And then there will be an asynchronous platform for students to do the same at home. And the content that has been reviewed at home can then be reviewed again in the classroom. And again, this may be more applicable in a high-tech environment where you can set up an effective asynchronous platform with a mixture of video lessons, adaptive software, et cetera. I hear uh, the three models and I can see that the, when you lay out these models, it sounds very clean. But uh, the reality is that many classes will end up being some combination of these. Some models may not even be possible in some situation. For example, in low-tech environment, where really hybrid learning will look more like shift schooling. And even in high-tech environment, the right model may be different by age of student, by subject, by teachers, and other factors. Absolutely. But there are some decisions that are going to have to be taken at the system level that will, to some extent, prescribe the universe of decisions for teachers and principals. Yeah, and one example would be how to organize student time, whether to split shifts by hours, morning and afternoon, by days, every other day, or by weeks. Yes, and even within these archetypes, there's variation. Uh, for example, we're seeing some systems moving away from every other day to a model where students have two consecutive days in school and then three days remote. Uh, and the advantage of this model is it gives teachers a day without any students in person to prepare the asynchronous remote content needed for the students who aren't in school on any given day. Uh, Emma, I think uh, you are bringing up teachers, and uh, this is an important point. I think that the question is, uh, how should system be thinking about teachers' allocation in this case? Indeed, this is a really important decision. In the toolkit, we outline a few models, uh, either keeping as is with students following teacher availability. Uh, and this model might be used, for example, in a high school where a certain elective might be only offered remote, by a teacher who has to stay remote for health reasons. The, the second model would be allocating teachers to be either remote or in person. And an example of this is there are some systems that are offering parents the choice of virtual or in person. A third model would be having individual teachers span remote and in person for one group of teachers. And then the fourth model would be adopting more of a team teaching model where a team of remote and in-person teachers are teaching the same group of students. And even within these, there's a lot of sub-choices. For example, how do you allocate do you allocate your older teachers who may not be as tech competent to do all the remote learning? Or do you select the teachers who are the most capable at remote learning, no matter what their age is? And some of those may indeed be the older teachers or even hire in a new virtual learning team. And so within each of the choices in the toolkit, there's a lot of sub choices and options. And, and we're hopeful that laying all this out is helpful for systems uh, as they grapple with the decisions that have to be made in this really complex new normal. Thank you very much, Emma, for joining us today to speak about hybrid learning. Thank you, Bohen. Dear colleagues, you can find more information on the toolkit and the hybrid learning chapter, including a more detailed description of the problem, the framework of response, case studies and practical checklist of action on the Global Education Coalition website. In addition, for more information, you can access materials developed by other members of the Global Coalition around hybrid learning. Thank you very much. Thank you.